Welcome to Still Scared Talking Children's Horror, a podcast about creepy, spooky and disturbing children's books, films and TV. I'm Ren Wednesday, my co-host is Adam Wybray. Today we're talking about the novel The Scarecrows by Robert Westall. A transcript of this episode will be available, so check the show notes for that. Enjoy! Good evening, Adam. Good evening, and uh, a hot and balmy evening it is too. Oh, oh it is. It's... It is here in Suffolk. How is it up in Scotland? Um, moderately grey, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. We um, haven't had much in the way of heat uh, since since June. So oh gosh, uh, it's most mostly been raining. Yeah, it's been yeah. clammy here. Um... Oh, and I've got a question. Before we really get into the thick of things with our discussion mm. of Robert Westall's The Scarecrows, uh, I have mm. a question for you that's arisen, and I thought, well, Ren's going to know the answer. Okay. Ren, what is an old-fashioned expression? <laughs> I, know, I did notice that that came up in this, yeah. Um, I mean... <laughs> I can picture it, but I don't know if I can describe well, what, what, it. What, what are you picturing? <laughs> I mean, I think it's something like a kind of sceptical expression, a kind of reserved expression, oh. a kind of... That's what I think of it being, at least. A kind of... A kind of restrained scepticism. Okay. Like, I mean, I assumed... It must be an expression that they made on the musical stage. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh But it came up more than once in this book with different characters making an old-fashioned expression. I was like, I've got no idea what that means. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, what I always think when that phrase comes up is like a kind of Victorian governess. That's that's what I think is an old of an old fashioned expression. So like, because they are, they are the quintessential old fashioned person. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <Yeah>, so. <laughs> um, yeah. Or maybe like like someone's channeling the the spirit of a Victorian governess. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Right. When when I next hear that expression, it's not an expression I hear often, but if I yeah. hear someone at school. Say, say, oh, that child made an old-fashioned expression at me. I'll assume that they are suggesting they were channeling the spirit of the Victorian governess. I, mean, I realise that as you asked this, that I had a very clear idea of what that phrase meant with, like, nothing to back that up. That's just what I've been... <laughs> well, to be fair, that is exactly why I asked you, because I was like, I'm sure Red has a clear idea of what this phrase means. <laughs> so I, I'm glad yeah. my, my suspicion is correct. <laughs> mm. But yeah, no idea. Um, but, but, um, but that is one phrase amongst many 
curious phrases that one can indeed... <laughs> this the, curious, curious book. That the brave and intrepid reader um, can encounter in Robert Westall's uh, Carnegie winning uh, The Scarecrows, which won the uh, Carnegie Children's Literature Medal for 1981, I believe. Yeah. Um, other, it's, it's a medal for outstanding books for children and young people. Um, other winners include Watership Down, uh, Northern Lights by Philip Pullman, uh, The Borrowers, uh, The Owl Service by Alan Garner, um, and uh, Goggle Eyes by Anne Fine, which is actually the book that this reminded me of in parts. Oh, that's, um, that's but... not an Anne Fine I've read, actually. Um... Mm. It's only because it's about uh, the the protagonists. It's about the protagonist's mother uh, getting together with a new a new man, um, and uh, yeah, so. And presumably, the protagonist of Goggle Eyes doesn't like the new stepdad. Yes. Okay, yeah. because Simon Wood, the protagonist of <laughs> the Scarecrows, really, really, really freaking hates his new stepdad. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, this this is a book of fairly incandescent rage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, but before we go, what what cover do you have? Oh, no, yeah, I do like discussing the covers. Okay, so I have this mm. quite murky uh, cover. Um, it's a painting of uh, a very sort of purple, brown and green turnip field oh. with uh, three scarecrows um, that look very scraggy and gaunt uh, sticking up mm. out of it with... Um, sort of blue cloud-strewn sky and some crows flying about. And it's okay. by Sophie yeah. Williams, apparently. I have a, I have a different one, which is um, sort of 70s kind of earth tones and has a, a surprise-looking boy with a, a bowl cut um, surrounded by three scarecrows. And kind of the one behind him has a, a cap over over its face but you can just see sort of sort of straw coming up out of it so it looks quite maggoty oh, yeah. and then there's one sort of facing towards him but a, away from the from the reader who um, is wearing a that's the sort of female one I suppose and then the the other the, the last one is like very close up and it's kind of it has like sort of two thirds of his face and is wearing this kind of russet brown balaclava and has a a braided straw moustache and beard Oh, it sounds it sounds a bit gnarly. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a very intense expression on this scarecrow's <laughs> face. Um, um, this one's by Alan Hood. Yeah, Puffin Plus edition. I don't know what Puffin Plus means. It 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 mm. means you, you've got through the regular puffins, and now you're ready for the for the hard stuff. <laughs> for the weird stuff. <laughs> for the weird stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> and kit you can imagine like you know the, the books the book hey kid you know you want the hard stuff <laughs> yeah. have i got the book for you uh, this is the i'm gonna say this is the first book um we've discussed in which we're probably going to censor ourselves basically and have to talk around certain areas because even though this won a children's Literature <laughs> Award 
Um, I think it's fair to say it's got some troubling stuff in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, we were talking about uh, Roald Dahl and sensitivity readers last time. Um, and I feel like, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. My copy is a 1986 edition. I, I feel fairly confident that if there are more recent editions it's gone through something of a toning down in the process yeah um, i feel like most sensitivity readers would just sort of say nope yeah yeah and, and as adam said we won't just dis- <laughs> go into everything because it is um it's a bit much, honestly. It's, it's a, a bit much um, for the podcast. But... And, and it's, it's tricky because part of me, there's some great stretches of writing in this, right? Yeah. And it's trying to get into the head of a very angry and confused 13-year-old boy. And hmm. um, frankly, this 13-year-old boy is angrier than I ever was. He's really angry. Um, yeah. But, you know, I'm sure there are some kids who have read this and found it really comforting and relatable. Um, mm. And... You know, it doesn't shy away from really difficult, weird emotions. And I do think that's mm. something that great young adult fiction, children's fiction can do. Um, yeah. That said, I wouldn't give this to my coming up to 12-year-old stepson. Yeah, like I, I wouldn't be okay with him reading it. If I'm absolutely <laughs> honest. Um, yeah, yeah, it's a little bit. Without going into it, it's a little bit of a Freudian fever dream in places. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, also, yeah, <laughs> just some some off the cuff. Uh, 70s uh, vintage homophobia going on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Multiple uses of the <laughs> puffish as an adjective. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. It, so this yeah. book's a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, how did you... Where, where did you get this from? Uh, where, where did you... Well, the, the, this old man came up to me in an alley. <laughs> <laughs> opened his, his, his brown mac and said, Hey, hey kid. <laughs> um, I, I think I must have just looked up scariest young adult fiction, to be honest. It was probably okay, on yeah. one of the lists, various lists I've read of creepy children's books, to be honest. And... I assumed it would be a folk horror and there are elements Mm. of that in this Mm. in as much as someone from outside the country going into the country and there are solely eccentric country folk to a degree. Um, Yeah. (laughs) And it's certainly about old, ancient, hidden secrets coming back and the pull of the earth and the land to a degree and turnips. um, Yeah, Yeah, it's definitely about turnips. It's definitely about turnips. Uh, Turnips... Are a very, <laughs> they're very symbolic in this book. I, I have no idea of what, but they're, they're definitely a symbol. I know that much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. Um, because uh, yeah, there's a lot of turnips, um, like just just scattered throughout. It'll be like you know, the turnip air. <laughs> he, he, he sat down upon the turnip seat. <laughs> And nodded yeah, his turnip if, if head. You, 
<laughs> I wondered if you related that. I remember you lived near a, a cabbage field. That's that is true. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. Yeah, but they're not everywhere. Like, <laughs> I don't go out the door and see cabbages all the time. Like, you might smell the cabbage field and be like, "Ugh, cabbagey." But, yeah, they don't. They don't occupy my consciousness oh, in, okay. in quite the in, in way. quite the same. Yeah. <laughs> but any, anyway, um, anyway, because yeah. the, the people, listeners are going to have a, a sense of what what what's the mystery of this very strange book. Hmm. Um, yeah, okay, so it starts, um, it was the night before the fundraising effort that the devils came, so it seemed to Simon Wood ever after. And we kind of get right into into the horror with a, a dormitory of 30, a dormitory full of 13-year-old boys at a boarding school. Um, and I, I thought and, we'd uh, had enough of this kind of stuff of rolled down last time i know i know like coming right after the swan i was like oh god I know. we have to <laughs> um, <laughs> just right in with this this bully uh, bowden who's uh choosing his victims and sort of throwing various insults at other boys parents and like really unpleasant your mama jokes yeah yeah really really nasty stuff um and like luckily this the book changes direction we don't he leaves he goes away for the holidays because i couldn't <laughs> i couldn't handle a whole yeah. book of this uh, kind of horrible hor- horrible boys in a boarding school stuff um yeah um but yeah he's sort of bowed and sort of starts in on simon's mum who who was playing tennis at the kind of previous parents day and and this is when the kind of the, the devils come for Simon for the first time, and he um, kind of gets out of bed and attacks Bowden. And I, I was thinking of reading a bit of this. Um, that was when the devils came. Simon got out of bed without willing it, felt the floor cold under his feet like in a dream, walked steadily across to Bowden's bed. He knew he was being insane. Bowden was twice his size. Bowden would kill him. Calmly, he reached for Bowden in the dark, got hold of his pyjama coat. "'Hey, what's up with you?' said Bowden, querulously. Simon hit him with all his strength. He could remember nothing after that, except Bowden wrenching and heaving under his hand, and Bowden's pyjamas tearing, and chairs falling, and the iron pane of bed legs, and slivering on the smooth polished floor, and then nothing, until he was standing in the washroom, with the lights on. Something was dripping off his nose and splashing on the floor. He looked down. There was a track of blood all down his pyjamas right to the crutch, and one of the toilet doors stood half open with its lock smashed off. He gaped stupidly at the splintered star of bare wood in the blue door. Who did that? You did, my lad, said a grim voice above his head. Um, so that's the first, the first instance of the devils, um, where he attacks Valden. Um, but... Simon's not, he's not really like, he's not really a hard lad. He's hes an angry lad, but he's not a hard lad. Yes, yeah. Um, he reads Watership Down to, to calm himself down, and he has a, a soft spot for cats, um, as we find out later. But um, but when the devils get into him, he uh, kind of loses control of himself. Um, and uh, at the next parents' day, his mum shows up with a man, 
who Simon describes as a yob, but is uh, revealed to be a somewhat well-known artist and political cartoonist called Joe Morton. And Simon idealises his father, who died in combat, possibly in the Second World War? Um... Or afterwards, I wasn't uh, quite sure I th- about. I, it took me a while to try to work out when exactly. I think it must have been after. Place. I think it's. Um, I think, I think it's written in the mid seventies. I think we're. I think it's set in the mid seventies, based on later when they find a newspaper from the Second World War, and he says that it was thirty years ago. Um, and and it also says that his his father's grave is in a um a military cemetery where uh, arab children can see in so i assume it's somewhere in the middle east um i don't know my uh i don't know military history well enough to know what what which what, yeah which war that would have been in in the in the 60s or the so it, it yeah. says here Simon Wood's father was a hero, a commanding officer in the British Army. Um, so yeah. I, I guess that's that's the essential information. That it yeah, is. yeah. Dad was a commanding officer in the army and has, has died in combat. And mm. Simon really idealises his father. Yeah. Um, and his mum knows this and is kind of trying to keep the information that he that she's like that she's dating Joe sort of um a bit quiet from him although it seems fairly obvious and kind of when he's kind of home for for the holidays and kind of goes to a gallery opening to see to see where his mum has been spending all their time and it turns out it's an exhibition of Joe's drawings um I kind of pictured Joe's drawings as a bit like Gerald Scarface. I don't think I know that. Is that him? Um, is it the guy, the political cartoonist who did like the famous cover for Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, and also? Oh the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. The, the art yeah. in the wall, the Pink Floyd movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that. I think that's definitely what what he's going for. Uh, I've got a description of of uh, one of his drawings. It's, it's, the Chancellor of the Exchequer was made up from a jumble of dollar signs and trade graphs. Behind him was the Bank of England, all falling down and twisted. It was just a jumble of pen strokes close to you, but if you stepped back it looked just like him as he appeared on telly, all efficient and sensible on top and dead scared underneath. All Joe Morton's people looked scared underneath, like the people at Granny's funeral. It made you feel scared yourself, as if nothing in the world was what it seemed. Yeah, he really Simon really dislikes Joe's <laughs> Joe's drawings. Um he, uh, he finds uh, that they um expose too much and he, he makes him uncomfortable. Yeah. Uh, um, Joe Joe clearly his art is about upending the establishment. Um mm-hmm. although as often the way with satire, the establishment also kinda love him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, clearly this is really offensive on some level to Simon, and it seems like he's kind of uh, degrading or insulting his father and what his father stood for. Hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah, so it's kind of at this gallery opening, he overhears a couple of people talking about his mother and Joe, and and the next time his mum comes to visit, she tells him that she and Joe are getting married and going to live in Joe's old house in Cheshire with Simon's little sister, Jane. Um, and uh, obviously Simon doesn't take this news well, and he kind of tries to avoid going back for the for the summer holidays and goes to a kind of some sort of army thing with like a a man who was a, a friend of his dad's but uh, eventually has to go home and he kind of sees Joe settled in as part of the family. I, I'm glad you, you have no idea what this army thing was either. Yeah, no, not a clue. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm just like, okay. Army camp. He, he went and did some army for a bit and um, then... <laughs> Then he left. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's um, <laughs> it's it. Well, actually, it's, it's Aldershot. He says it's Aldershot, so it's a kind of uh, army training barracks kind okay. of thing. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, but um, <laughs> betraying my uh, lack of interest in uh, in. Well, and, okay, so and Robert, yeah. so Robert Westall clearly is quite uh, interested in the war, yeah, right, and both both world wars because a lot of his other books are war based. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. So the only other one I know, which I bought for George, was Blitzcat. Um, okay, because I was like, oh, it combines <laughs> war with cats, so that's a shoe in for George. He'll like it. Had <laughs> <laughs> a cute cat. You know, in the records of the blip. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that investment in, um, don't say the army necessarily, um, but Britain's role in, in the wars um, mm. and army life colours this book in an interesting way. Because mm. it's very hard. Okay, so S- Simon um, is really angry um, and often has these bursts of violence and he has a lot of very dark, angry thoughts. And so sometimes he can be quite alienating as a protagonist. Um, mm. But Robert Westall clearly puts a lot of effort very convincingly getting inside Simon's head. And Mm. Simon really believes in the values of the British Empire and what that represents, but also um, stoicism and British fighting spirit and all of these things that kind of part and parcel of that and this ideology. Mm. And Joe Mortimer obviously is very mocking of this and so Simon sees Joe as this um, sort of grotesque, kind of cowardly uh, court jester, basically. You know, he's not mm. man enough to go and fight himself, um, but will stand sneering on the sidelines, basically. Mm. And it, it's really ambiguous, I think, which makes it interesting. And... Um, sometimes a difficult book to sit with where Robert Westall as the author sits on that yeah Um, because it's definitely not a straightforward book where 
we realise Simon is completely wrong and Joe actually, this anti-authority figure is, is, is the hero all along, right? And his yeah. idealisation of kind of traditional uh, patriotic and masculine values was, was mistaken. I really don't think that's what the book's doing. Mm. Um, which, while would probably be closer to my own sensibilities, at the same time would make for a lot less interesting a book. Yeah. Do you get what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but, but also, uh, Simon, Simon is so unpleasant that you can't fully, uh, well... Well, you wouldn't want to be Simon, right? Yeah. So, yeah so, Simon's consumed by hatred <laughs> yeah. pretty much all the time. <laughs> being in Simon's head, it's a tough book to read because being in Simon's head is mm. not a nice place to be. Yeah. Yeah, and then... And yeah, there's there's a pretty like kind of powerful moment later where where Joe draws him and it kind of reflects that hatred back at him shows him as this like kind of little kind of goblin figure <laughs> yeah. consumed by hate and he, he can't bear to look at it. Um yeah. But he has he so he has to move in over the holidays. He has to just move in uh to mm. Joe's um farmhouse, I suppose you'd say. Yeah. Yeah, and he he kind of yeah when when he sort of sees Joe kind of acting kind of as part of the family, he sort of feels the devil's return in him, and he runs out the house across the turnip field, starring role of the turnip field <laughs> in this book, and um, finds the old mill, um, and in the old mill there's an old front room uh, with a, a newspaper from 1943 that kind of crumbles to flakes as he touches it. And there's sort of an old bitten pipe, and then he kind of feels as if he's being watched. But it's, it's only these three old coats and hats hanging on pegs, um, and two men's and one woman's. And he kind of tries them on and parades up and down, and feels that like the old inhabitants of the room to him don't mind him doing this, and they kind of are becoming friendlier to him as he as he tries on their clothes. And, but yeah, he, he kind of goes to explore the rest of the mill and um do you do you want to read the bit um where you see it kind of sees the the hanging um the, the hanging coats oh the hanging figure it's like page 51 it says he thinks he sees a man hanging oh um okay yeah yeah okay it wasn't totally dark as his eyes adjusted, he could see several rows of faint blue, horizontal slits set into the walls, and the blue light bounded round, picking out corners of great wooden wheels and axles. Only the mill machinery. Nothing to be afraid of. Then he saw the blonde man hanging, from a rope round his neck. Legs dangling, body swaying gently in the breeze that came out of the dark and passed through the body behind Simon. Simon felt his whole body go rigid, Felt his knuckles go to his mouth. Felt his teeth bite on them, bottling up a scream. Woods did not run. Father, he thought, and walked towards the hanged man. Touched him. In the moment he touched, everything changed shape. 
it was far too light to be a hanged man. A sack. Thirty-two years ago the miller had hauled a sack of grain up on a hoist and left it hanging that last day. Over the years the sack had dampened, rotted, burst, spilling the grain on the floor. Now the burst bottoms of the sack dangled down in rags, making the hanged man's legs. And over the years the rope had chafed half through, two pale strands of frayed hemp hung loose, making the hanged man's hair. And animals had come and eaten the grain lying beneath, leaving only a clotted black mess. So simple. But he still ran back into the living room and slammed the door on the mill. He wasn't interested in the workings of the mill, he told himself. Yeah. Yeah, there's some, there's some good textures in this book. <laughs> oh, well, um, in fact, my, my textures are mill-based, so do you want... Should we do textures? Okay, yeah. Sh- yeah, okay, shall we? Yeah, if I don't want to knock my uh, microphone onto the floor, I just want to grab this. Um. Right, one moment. I'm going to get my drumsticks. Okay, so... Yeah, I wondered if you had picked the mill. It, I, I have. In fact, I've picked the second of Simon's visits to the mill, where he actually gets the water wheel moving, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, which is in great sounds. So I won't read all of it, but um, it says water was running into the mill all over different mm. sounds of rushing waters like little waterfalls. Then the noise of a dustbin being rolled by bin men right beneath his feet, a dustbin two inches thick. Then tong, 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 tong. A noise like a boy rattling an iron bar along iron railings. Entranced he moved about. The sounds changed as he moved, went deeper, roaring like a lion chained up underground, water going... Like a heart beating, rumbles like indigestion inside his own body, so deep down were they. Again, like the blood pounding in his own ears. But uh, the actual texture at the end of this sort of series of uh, auditory descriptions that I really liked focuses on the cogwheels and, uh, mm. yeah, the thick grease on the cogwheels was like blue black butter Ooh. yeah I really I don't think if it was just black butter I don't think it'd be nearly mm. as effective as blue black butter yeah yeah so yeah that's that's my yeah. texture that's good yeah no, that passage was was one of the ones I picked out as well but um as you've done the mill I will do turnips um <laughs> <laughs> the texture of turnip <laughs> yeah <laughs> He could see nothing but turnips, a field of turnips growing in neat geometric rows as far as the eye could see, their geometry only broken by pale random fringes of weed. The turnips were in full leaf, purple, blue, grey, full of darker blue shadows. The wind coming across them lifted their undersides in silvery waves. They whispered together like friends. Somehow he felt they were happy. The smell of turnips soothed him. 
Oh, it's like Wordsworth with his daffodils. <laughs> they whisper together like friends. Oh, yeah, it's really charming. Um, <laughs> I really, he, I feel like he spent a lot of time looking at turnips for this. Um, <laughs> Do you think he had a, a turnip on his writing desk? <laughs> I think so. At least one. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's. <laughs> A very good writer. Um, oh yeah. Um, yeah. But 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 why why spend it on so much anger? <laughs> that, anyway, anyway, Simon Simon goes mm. to the old mill and he's kind of both entranced and repulsed by it. Yeah. Like he feels compelled to go into it, even though it it scares him. Um, and then uh, the rest of the family go and tromp around it. Um, Joe leaves mm. his big footprints around the mill, so next time someone goes, he <laughs> he, he he's sweeps away or yeah, s- I don't know what the right word is. Swibbles? That's not a word. <laughs> Swibbles up the swooshes up yeah, yeah. The, the footsteps. Uh, and Joe says that when he was a kid, his mother made him swear on a Bible not to go up to the mill, just so we we get a bit of uh, a bit more dread in there. Um, and um, yeah, the, the next day Simon goes back to the mill and um, and on a whim kind of pulls the big lever to to start it up. Um, yeah, and that's when so, you get all the amazing sounds that I read. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, he, uh, he 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 stops it again, but he yeah you know, just uh, just has a little go. Uh, and he meets this old man sitting in a wheelbarrow called Tom Merciful. Who was a, a First World War veteran? Because uh, yeah, we're still in a time where there were First World War veterans around, um, and even if they were rather elderly, um, and he sort of I don't know what, what does he do? He talks about his father being a hosbreaker, <laughs> a hosbreaker um, for breaking in horses. Just sort of uh, is generally a bit a bit eccentric. Um, but yeah, I mean, I quite like the fact that he's given room to breathe. Like yeah. he's given these quite rambling <laughs> monologues um, about life in the country. But I do yeah. think they added a bit of texture um, yeah, to the yeah. setting. <laughs> yeah, and he's quite an odd figure. Like you don't really know which way to take him. Like, yeah, we do. We do get some interesting characters in this book. Oh yeah, yeah. Like a lot of characters where you're not quite sure, sure how you're meant to meant to take them, and and lots of potential caricatures uh, for Joe. In fact, like one thing I like about um, having having the character of of Joe, it is Joe, isn't it? Yeah, Joe Morton. Yeah, yeah. Um, is is that it then meant that when we were introduced to these slightly eccentric characters, I was kind of immediately picturing how Joe would draw them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's a good dynamic, isn't it? Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, kind of Simon's sort of spending all his time kind of lurking in his attic bedroom, avoiding the family, Um and he realises there's a kind of spot in his cupboard where he can listen in on his mum and Joe, um, who uh, 
sort of generally despairing about Simon and say things like, uh, he's so bloody lonely it fills the whole house, like the smell of a leaky lav. Um, <laughs> uh, he also listens in on them having sex. Um, oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. Wow. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> this whole stuff becomes very odd and voyeuristic, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah, so um, it made me think a bit of, you know, that Simpsons episode was based um, on Rear Window where Bart ends <laughs> yeah, up shut yeah. away in his bedroom like, and goes a bit weird. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it made me think of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that very much, very much that kind of vibe. Like Simon just from, gets from quite, Simon. quite strange and voyeuristic, shut away. Um and like as soon as he, he he finds this crack, it's like you know he he's like I can't go to it. And then it's like the next minute he his ears to it, li- listening all through the night. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's he's not he's not doing great, is Simon? No. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I think I think um, that's what's quite startling about this book. Actually, is you know as a young adult, and you you have all these. Very textured descriptions, um, mm. and then sometimes, suddenly, as an adult reader, your mind just goes back to, "Oh my gosh, he's really not doing well." Uh, there's a yeah. bit later where he gets hold of his dad's gun and he like loads it up, and you're like, "Frickin' heck!" Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you really do think, "Is he actually going to just shoot someone?" Like, there, there definitely mm. is that level of potential violence in this book. Yeah, he, yeah, <laughs> and. Yeah, but also like, and but I think yeah, Robert Westall puts in the whole bit about the cat as well to kind of to kind of leaven that a bit. I mean, to to show that he's not just a complete sort of that he has some he's good, not yeah, wants, yeah, he has yeah. goodness in him. He's got some compassion. He's just very angry. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. So he rescues this. And this sort of scrawny, underfed cat, and mm. him and his family help nurse it back to, or nurse her back to health. Yeah, and and their kittens, and yeah, um, uh, yeah. He before he, before he gets hold of the gun, he he comes, he he kind of gives gives his mum and Joe a scare by setting up his well his mum really setting up his father's old army kit by the side of their bed. Um, to uh, remind, to remind his his mum that his dad. Well, he says to remind you he still exists. Uh, you whore, he says. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure um, if we were going to quote it. Yeah, I um, mean, <laughs> he, he doesn't just say it once. He he shouts it repeatedly yeah. at his own mum. Yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I haven't um, ever read a kids' book in which the protagonist shouts that at their own mum. Over and over again. I know. Um, <laughs> to, I have to remind the listeners this: this is still us not kind of editing out the the most troubling parts of this book. So <laughs> that's not even the heavy stuff. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, you know, as a teacher, obviously, I'm now like, right, that's the purple forms. You know, this is all the safeguarding <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, um, so Simon would be having lots of long conversations in support centre, <laughs> basically. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, that would be I do wonder if smart therapy would be good for him, actually. But um, I think he'd probably be quite resistant <laughs> to that, sadly. <laughs> yeah, he's quite opposed to art yeah. at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah, and he doesn't. He doesn't really have anyone to um, uh, to talk about this with. I mean, the the closest was like the army guy, but the army guy is is doing his army things in Aldershot um, and isn't really a feelings person anyway. It just, uh, I mean, I guess what makes the book interesting and maybe valuable is the fact that there's so much, so much endlessly written, right, about about toxic masculinity now and, and, and incels and, you know, getting mm. into the, the heads of violent young men. And in some ways I do think this book does quite a good job of that. Um, mm. And there's something kind of grim and tragic about the fact that there's so much violence in this book, right? So, mm. you know, Joe, Joe and his mother are sometimes sympathetic, but ultimately when they're despairing of someone, they react with violence too. You know, both Joe yeah. and his mum hit Simon and his mum seemingly quite viciously, actually. Um yeah. You're not saying any hitting is okay, but there's a really distressing sequence in which his mum sort of hits him over and over and over again. Um, and so, yeah, it's a, it's a really bleak book in many ways about this deeply troubled young man who, or boy, who yeah. is sort of trying to connect and, and yeah, largely kind of, you can only, <laughs> there's just violence. It's a very violent book. Mm. Um. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Which makes it really claustrophobic. It's not an easy read. Yeah, and that's before we get into the 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 violent story of the <laughs> of the the scarecrows slash. The people of the mill. Oh my gosh, um, which is actually really, I've, I've always forgot how grim that is. Really horrible, yeah. Um, yeah and sort of, uh, like something uh, from uh, a freaking uh, Junji Ito manga. <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> um, yeah, so, so one of the curiosities, another curiosity of this book is that the scarecrows themselves don't turn up until two thirds through. <laughs> Almost. Yeah, or more. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, but we get there foreshadowing with the uh, the uh, the uh, the abandoned room in the mill and the uh, yeah the clothes on the back but of the door. The, but... the the book should be called the very angry young man and the scarecrows <laughs> that represented his anger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, should it not just be called like the devils? That... Yeah, yeah, that'd be a much better, <laughs> better title. Because, <laughs> because quite a lot of the reviews on Goodreads are like, "Well, the scarecrows don't even turn up." Until <laughs> wow, it's true. <laughs> and it's like, well, yeah. And they're on all the freaking covers. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, there's more turnips yeah. than scarecrows in this book. <laughs> yeah. But um, but where where the scarecrows actually come in is that sort of after this kind of explosion of anger at, at his mum, he kind of runs out into the night into the turnip field, and um, kind of calls out to his father and he's like, you know, help me, help me, come and help me. And but the book kind of makes it 
it's very clear that it's not his father's spirit that's coming to him. It's it's the devils. Um, and the next morning, the scarecrows appear in the turnip field. Um, wearing the clothes. Yeah, wearing the clothes. It's... It says, two, two male, one female. The front male was big and burly. The female stood beside him, just on his right. The other male was much further back. Um, so they kind of have this hierarchy of the scarecrows, um, of their position is, is significant. Um, the kind of one behind, it says, his head was tipped facing down at the ground his cap was pulled well down over where his eye should have been he had no face at all just shadows and damp straw but you could make a face out of the shadows only each time you looked the face was different somehow you could tell he was up to no good and you could tell that the big man didn't know he was there but the woman did anyway, so yeah so there's this weird dynamic going on with these scarecrows um he kind of it takes him a while to realize that they're wearing the clothes from the mill but he does, and he kind of pushes them down in a rage. But um, but the man and the woman at the front kind of fall into a way that sort of looks obscene to him, as if they're having sex in the field. Um, and he kind of runs away from, from them and, and finds Mr. Merciful again, who, who ends up telling him the story of the mill and the miller. Um, which, um, yeah, which is a sordid tale. Um, yeah, it's like the kind of thing that would have been recorded in a murder ballad. Uh, yeah, back, yeah, back, definitely. Back in the 16th century. <laughs> yeah. It says, so it's basically, it's the, there's an old miller and a young miller, and the young miller inherits the mill from his father, but he doesn't have the desire or aptitude to, to run it, so he brings in this man called Starkey. And uh, Starkey was robbing the young miller from under his nose, and kind of everyone knew it except except the miller. And he also got close with the young miller's wife, Josie Cragg. And eventually the young miller sort of cottons onto this and comes over and confronts them. And then he disappears. And the mill stops working. And it, a sort of a, a couple of weeks later, the, the mill's kind of being reclaimed by the authorities. And they crank up the big water wheel. And it says, up came young miller, three weeks dead. Jammed into wheel he was and went round three times more before they stopped it. <laughs> and, and then um, the police are summarily sick. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, and in the end, uh, both uh, Starkey and Josie are, are hanged. Uh, he at Strange Ways in Manchester and her in Holloway in London. Um, and yeah, that's the that's the uh, the grim tale of a. Uh, of the miller um and uh yeah now they they've kind of now they're sort of inhabiting these these scarecrows um motivated by pure hate i, yeah. I, I like that they don't really seem to have any agenda apart from to be hateful yeah yeah <laughs> it says it says, the scarecrows were hungry to live again. They lived on their own hate for 30 years, and it was a thin, bitter, unsatisfying thing, like endlessly drinking vinegar because there was nothing else. The dead, Simon knew now, were always hungry, and they felt entitled. They were coming to prey on the fatness of the living, and he, Simon, had opened the larder door, and it could never be closed again. <laughs> um. 
So yeah, just some just some real malevolent <laughs> yeah, scarecrows. Really um, nasty scarecrows. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> just getting towards the end of it, then uh, uh, Tris Tris It is really funny, off. right? Because you would think that that was like the setup for the book. <laughs> Yeah, you, yeah you we're would. near the end now. <laughs> we're near the end. Um, and this this friend of Simon's from school um, sends up. He's a, he's a, a joker. We kind of we saw him at the beginning at the book. He's kind of diffuses Bowden's bullying by making everyone laugh, and he kind of turns up again just to be a general chaos gremlin. Um, I, I think because Simon's mum thinks that having Tris around will 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 help. Uh, Simon, which seems and, like it. And also maybe she just fancies she's like, oh, Simon's such a drag. At least at least his friend Tris <laughs> is fun. I'd rather have him around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because there's a lot of Simon's sort of moping. Like, oh, why do they like Tris the more than me? And you're like, well, Simon, let's be honest <laughs> here, mate. <laughs> yeah. Um... um. Tris uh, starts up the old mill again, um, just uh, for a lark, um, bringing it closer to the brink of destruction. And uh, Simon thinks that for some reason that the scarecrows are scared of Tris. Um, maybe his general chaotic demeanour, I don't know. Um, yeah, it's quite odd because this seems quite key to the ending of the book and the book's last line. Yeah. Right? So I guess Triss is on the side of, like, life mm. and chaos. And the scarecrows are on the side of, like, death and... Mm. Um, I don't know. Um... um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh... I'm not entirely sure how it works, but... Yeah, uh... Or are they scared of Triss because Triss has, like, nearly destroyed the mill and they're tied to the mill? I'm not sure. Maybe. Um, yeah. Um, but... The Triss only does that on a whim. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, let's pull this lever. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, yeah. and suddenly all these TV crew are around, which um, is quite an unexpected yeah. turn of events in this book. Yeah, well, Tris, after nearly destroying the mill, gets Joe to like call the National Trust and say like, and be like, look, we have this really like old old mill and it's like in really bad disrepair, but maybe you know you should come and conserve it or something, and um and it becomes this kind of cause and once the National Trust get there and then all these TV crews turn up and start sort of digging up the sordid history of the young Miller and Starkey and Josie Cragg and um which is just yeah, what the, those scarecrows want possibly yeah and, <laughs> maybe m- maybe yeah they want to be on they, TV they, they, well, I guess <laughs> <laughs> but yeah with, the, with all the tension they seem to they start moving closer and closer to the house um and then and after some time with this Joe puts on a kind of a kind of haunted house that he does. I mean, this sounds great, to be fair. And, you know, <laughs> if I was unsure about Joe, definitely a redeeming moment, I've got to admit. He, he, yeah, he, no, his, sounds, his house is cool. apparently rigged up 
to allow yeah. him to do strange haunted house activities, which <laughs> wasn't mentioned before, but okay. No, 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 this is just, uh, yeah, among his skills, um, he's doing this, uh, <laughs> doing this haunted house ghosty thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, so and, hit um, him and... Um, the rest of well, Simon's sister and his mum, they, they all go upstairs to be monsters. Yeah. Um and they're kind of they're they're sort of doing this and that they've got all like lights rigged up and sound and everything. Um then things sort of start to get weird. He's got 'cause they've got lights rigged up and sound, but but it starts to flicker and kind of bump in ways that uh they said it isn't meant to and then the the, the scarecrows uh, are out the window and there's a, a deep voice that says i will be master in my own house um and it's not joe's voice it's um i presume well i don't know is it is, is it starkey um it's it's it... or is it or is it the young miller yeah well it's it's clearly a discussion between the ghosts or the scarecrows of yeah. Starkey and, and the old Miller. Hmm. Um. Battling for supremacy over the farmhouse. Yeah, yeah. Um. And sort of, yeah, Simon feels like he has, he realises he has to run. He run, has to run out into the, into the field. Into the turnips. Into the turnips, and kind of fight them. Um, um, yeah, I'll, I'll just read a bit of it. Because, yeah, uh, yeah, it's quite. It becomes quite strange and impressionistic. Like, yeah, the last ten pages of this book are quite feverish. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll just read some of it to kind of give you some idea it's kind of okay he ran smashed through the hedge as if it was a rugby pack felt the branches clutch at his shirt and tear away despairingly he darted between the figures of the scarecrows starkey was still lurking at the back he almost ran into him into the filthy smell of rotting straw but swerved just in time the turnip leaves full of rain lashed his ankles like whips and threw wet up his trousers he trampled on the rounded bodies of the turnips as if he was in a black room full of hard, solid rugby balls. He didn't run for help to the village. He had the ball. Nobody else could carry it now. He was alone. Nobody backing up. This was how it felt to be alone. Not terrible, but marvellous. This is how Father must have felt, driving his jeep at the Flossies. Father hadn't really been lonely. He'd simply been alone. He felt one with his father at last. Head straight for what you're scared of, Simon. It will usually run away if you do. If not, you're no worse off. With father there, he no longer cared if he lived or died. He was panting now, great gouts of breath. Panting in total darkness, but still running, running for the mill. And somehow he knew, in all that turnip-filled darkness, just exactly where the mill was. If he was tied behind beyond hope to the mill, the mill was also tied beyond hope to him. It couldn't escape him, no more than he could escape it. Um... 
I'm now worried that Flossies is some sort of obscure slur that I've never heard uh, of before. Yeah, I don't know. Um, um, <laughs> the, the pitfalls of this book. Uh, um, I, I like the phrase turnip-filled darkness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's good, isn't it? So yeah, he's he's running into the turnip-filled darkness. Um, I've got I've got no idea. I mean, look, 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 I've just got adjective the uh, having the qualities of floss, <laughs> downy, light, fluffy. Yeah. Uh, we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll assume it means that. Let's hope. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's just go with that. Um, and yeah, he's kind of running into the mill, running at the mill, throwing himself at the the wooden lever, kind of making the mill run. Yeah, it makes um, it sound like he's sort of spearing himself on the lever, like it's like a sword, and he's impaling himself. Yeah, yeah, and he kind of and the 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 mill can't um, can't withstand the uh, the force of the. Uh, um, of being, of being turned on for the, again. Um, do you want to read that that bit though? Um, oh, sort of. It says like there there came a crack that made him turn. Okay, yeah. yeah. It... There came a crack that made him turn. Then a series of sounds like sheet lightning. A whole snapped beam of timber, sharp as a lance, speared upwards through the roof, sending a patch of tiles up into the air like birds. The windows burst out in hails of shining silver like snowflakes. And then the roof fell in. For a moment the gable ends towered clean against the sky like Bishop's Mitras. And then they too fell inward. Water spurted, bursting out, finding new channels, making new waterfalls that changed under his very eyes as more and more of the mill fell. Every time masonry choked it, the water burst out again into new place. There a pool was forming through which great bubbles of cloudy, flowery air burst out, as if something was drowning, and then, with a last rumble, the mill dam itself was breached, the wheel fell, and water covered everything in a huge spreading black pool that lapped gently around Simon's feet. The bubbles and ripples continued a long time, and then was still. Yeah. So he had his final showdown with the mill, and then he has his final showdown with the scarecrows, and he kind of topples them and is kind of channeling, he's like avenging, avenging his family as he topples the star, the scarecrows. Um, Which I don't, I don't really get, to be honest, because Simon's largely been the one who's given his family a hard time. Uh, yeah. Like avenging them I, against what? Against himself? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't know. Um, this is for all the stuff I did to uh, my family. <laughs> yeah, um, it seems it seems important to him. <laughs> Running at these scarecrows in a, in a rage is definitely yeah. important to Simon. I I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, and it seems to give him some kind of uh, some kind of I don't know, not closure, but. S- s- some thing closer to a truce with with Joe, in that he's kind of avenging a scarecrow for Joe as well, in a way. Yeah, 
I mean, I think what's so funny about this book is there are these moments where, so I, maybe especially as an adult reading it, you got to step outside Simon's... Um, I mean, it's not first person, it's third person, but it's so mm. bound to Simon's experience. There's sometimes you just sort of sit outside of that and because it's not obviously a supernatural book. Mm. And you just sort of picture this wildly angry 13-year-old, like, throwing himself with rage against some scarecrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah. Um, you know. But it, it works for him. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and it's cheaper than therapy. Yeah, scarecrow therapy. Um, which you absolutely mangle some scarecrows. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Get it on the NHS. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah be, that's what the NHS will be soon. Oh, God. Just go and, go and hit some scarecrows. And, um, and the scarecrows are mullered, as it were. <laughs> yeah. um, and then he wakes up in a turnip field, a symbolic turnip field. Um and and do you, um, do you want to read the last the last few lines of this <laughs> the, the amazing last line of this book? <laughs> Simon, we've been worried sick. We've been searching for you everywhere," said Mum. "Hello, you great turnip," said Tris Lachard. <laughs> Hello, you great turnip. Ah. <laughs> ah. Yeah. I mean, what a strange book. Okay, so <laughs> Simon needs to accept <laughs> that after all, he is the turnip. Aww. He is the turnip. Um, <laughs> Consider he is the, the turnip, turnip <laughs> because because he is in the field that's belongs to Joe. Okay. Um, and he, uh... <laughs> like, well, so he's, this is him taking his place as like one of Joe's sons, like a turnip son. <laughs> I am the yeah. turnip son. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but also, maybe it means he has turnip friends. Maybe he's not alone because the turnips are friends. Oh, what? So he's just finally, finally lost any. <laughs> Any type of reality, and he's just going to think he's friends of turnips. <laughs> maybe, God, maybe. I mean, yeah. Because I was sort of trying to think, oh, okay, is this sort of about embracing positivity? And you know, because Tris is at least a kind of cheery fellow, and but it's like, well, it's not really though, because the end of the book is Simon kind of angrier than ever, taking hold of his anger and letting out on some scarecrows. It's not like he makes friends with the scarecrows. No. I don't feel like Simon's especially positive at the end. And also, like, there's the line about Joe, um, when he, you say, he says he's, like, avenging Joe, which is all well and good. But then he says, Joe had a right to live too. And you're like, okay, very merciful, Simon, a right to live. <laughs> Not maybe a right to mum, Jane or Tris, but a right to live. <laughs> like, what? Okay, well, he doesn't deserve to be dead, but stay away from my mum and sister and my friend. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, kind of, 
you kind of feel like <laughs> Robert Westall's kind of given us this, yeah. Well, you kind of feel at the end like he's kind of cooked you a nice dinner and said like, look, isn't this a nice dinner? And then you just like look at the plate and it's just like, it's no like nuts and bolts and like a pencil <laughs> sharpener. You're like, is this a nice dinner? I don't... I don't know what to do with this. I don't, yeah. <laughs> um... Because, yeah. It, it, it seems like a psychological journey has gone has been gone through, but to what end? I have no idea. Um, d- 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 does does Simon leave this book a self actualized young man or um, a boy who believes he is friends of turnips? <laughs> is that the best way to be self actualized? I've got no idea. I don't know. Yeah, well, I'm glad you were equally uh, perplexed by this because I, I was worried that I just didn't get it. Um, but... No, no, Ren, I mean, to be fair, the last, literally the last line <laughs> of this book is, hello, you great turnip, said Tris Lachard. <laughs> the end. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's possibly the most inscriptive. You know, I've read Samuel Beckett, right? I think that's, that's <laughs> genuinely more inscrutable, a last line, that I've read in anything by Samuel Beckett. <laughs> so, so it lists so, us. Yeah, if, like, if, if it... Sorry if we sounded like completely baffled and bemused and befuddled throughout this entire episode. <laughs> um... Yeah, because we are. <laughs> <laughs> this book is freaking weird, and it and it won the Carnegie Medal. It did, yeah. <laughs> like it's like if someone was a really good painter, and then yeah, just just painted like a side of 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 gammon, like <laughs> waltzing, like with I don't say a new. That's like some sort of surrealist art. Just just painted like a side of gammon. Yeah, and then then you're like, well, yeah, you've done it really well, but why? <laughs> and I don't, I don't know, I don't know. It's like there's something getting to grips with like a lost, angry young man in this, but there's mm. also a lot of turnips. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. So anyway, if anyone, yeah. if any listeners really like this book, and not that I really disliked it, I just fr- freaking don't know. Um, yeah. If, if anyone like gets this last line, it's like, well, obviously, obviously, hello, you great turnip. <laughs> like, how, how are you not getting this, Adam? And then, please just email us or something. Yeah, no, please, please. It's still scared podcast at gmail dot com. Like, we we would, yeah, we would absolutely love to know. Um, yeah, because yeah, no idea, no idea. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so hopefully the next book we're doing is going to be a bit easier for us to get our, our befuddled heads about. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, it's about it's about creepy dolls, right? Creepy dolls, yeah. I think that's um, and and I think I think it is actually about creepy dolls. Like I think they turn up quite early. Oh, good. It's not it's not called like the creepy dolls, and then they turn up <laughs> right at the end as a symbol <laughs> for anger. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, 
Well, thanks for listening. Um, yeah, hopefully that made more sense to you than it did to thanks us. Thanks if, if you got through this. It's <laughs> weird episode. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, our, excuse me. Our intro music is by Maki Yamazaki. Our outro music is by Joe Kelly. Our artwork's by Letty Wilson. Um, you can find their details in the show notes. Um, yeah, well, you can email us at stillsayapodcast at gmail.com. Um, if you uh, have any suggestions for books you might want us to uh, to cover, um, and you can um, uh, rate or review us on Apple Podcasts or things like that. Um, and we did actually recently discover some <laughs> some, oh, reviews some really that, nice nice reviews some really on like a nice random reviews. website. Yeah, but they were like from years ago, so I'm sorry that we didn't actually see them. But thank you um, to the to the kind person in um, in. Dublin, I think it was, who said that they listened to our podcast when they were going to sleep. I'm like, oh. I know, can you imagine <laughs> listening to our voice when going to sleep? <laughs> yeah, I yeah, know, just me like cackling, like a <laughs> demented crow. Like, I, I don't. Amazing. Like, I can't... <laughs> <laughs> but but that's very sweet of you. Yeah. So um, thanks. Okay. ASMR, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um... Oh, sign yeah. off. Yeah, do you, do you have a sign-up for us, Adam? Yeah, um, go and make some old-fashioned expressions and some turnips, <laughs> creepy kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See you next time, creepy kids. Bye. Bye. Bye.